Welcome to Swartz Talking Sports. I'm your host, Les Swartz. Thanks, everyone, for joining in. We have a special show tonight, a first. We actually have an athlete in the prime of his career currently doing his thing. Normally, we've had tremendous athletes coming on post-career in retirement, but we've got an actual live person coming in who's doing his thing right now. We're going to have Tony run the reel, and then we're going to bring on our special guest. So, everyone, check it out. literally six or seven dollars and uh the guy at the gym you know uh owned a restaurant and that's where my wife worked he was feeding me uh, i was training and i was eating there you know i was working in a warehouse part-time and teaching classes i can't do this if i can't beat him i have to quit if i can't beat him i have to quit i don't want to quit i'm not done this is my life this is my only path i've gone too far to go back so name is joe selecki i'm fighting on this upcoming season of dana white tuesday night contender series and my fight will be on july 9th in vegas Well, let's bring him on. We are pleased to introduce UFC lightweight contender, Joe Selecki. Hey, Joe. Hey, what's up, Les? Thanks for having me. I uh, I enjoyed that intro. That was good. That was... Uh, you look good. You look good, brother. Yeah, I, tell I you. looked a lot better. I looked a lot better than... <laughs> that shows you that uh, fighting professionally ages you like an avocado, I always say. And, uh, I don't know. You seem to be, I, doing, a pre- you seem to be doing a pretty well, Joe. Let me just say. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, I know that you just finished up a training session, so we really appreciate you jumping on and doing this uh, kind of at the last minute. So thanks so much. Um, you know, get, we're going to have some questions from a lot of people, you know, that are viewers right now. And I just kind of want to get into a little bit. And I know that told a little bit of your story, but I know you're a New Jersey guy. Uh, how did you even get into MMA? Were you a wrestler? Did you enjoy like WWE? Were you a boxer? Like, what were the what was what were the reasons you kind of got into MMA and fell in love with it? Um, you know, I, I was too young for really any of that. I wasn't even in school yet when I got into uh, to martial arts. You know, it was all kind of, um, you know, I, I'm a man of faith, so I'll say God's hand. You know, I used to say before that uh, accident or coincidence. Um, but, you know, I watched the Power Rangers as a little kid, you know, three, four years old. Okay. Um, my brother was playing baseball. He's a good bit older than me. He's about five and a half years older. Um, I wanted to do karate cause, just because of the Power Rangers, you know. Uh, my parents wanted us in some kind of activity. Yeah. But I was four at the time, so too young for, you know, most things. Um, they sent him. So they sent him to karate. It was 1997. He was playing baseball, wasn't getting playing time. They said, you know, we both wanted to do it. We both liked the same stuff. So uh, they said, you know, maybe we'll try something individual. Uh, martial arts is good for you know discipline and all that it's funny because we weren't really allowed to play football or hockey because it was too much contact too violent not not violent but they didn't want us getting hurt <laughs> okay all right interesting how it ended up but go yeah. ahead so uh 97 you know jiu-jitsu is not a popular thing at the time um the ufc was only a couple of years old they only had a couple events by then mm-hmm. and uh, and they were barbaric you know so he went uh the instructor at the karate school had been going we were in south jersey he had been going into Philadelphia to one of the only jiu-jitsu schools, you know, on the East Coast at that point. Uh, he got his blue belt, which now would be entry level, but back then was, you know, qualified to almost teach. So okay. by the time I started two years later, he had converted the whole school to a jiu-jitsu curriculum. So 
almost by a weird thing. Like my parents didn't go seeking Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Uh, they didn't want to strangling kids and, you know, trying to break people's limbs. They wanted us doing, you know, katas and forms and breaking boards and learning discipline. And uh, as it was, by the time I started, I started kindergarten and Brazilian jiu-jitsu the same week. So um, it was kind of just a weird thing that way. And, you know, um, it, it wasn't very good. I didn't really see a competitive avenue. Um, but at the, around the same time, I also started watching Rocky. And that was something that I, you know, being from that area, that's big for all of us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I always joke that I'm just kind of a, a grown man that saw a movie and couldn't let it go. You know, so between those two things, that's where the obsession started. Now, I'm just so in high school, uh, did you continue on with training and, and go for your belts or were you wrestling? Did you get into wrestling at that time in high school? No. So I actually, you know, I went to a Catholic school, private school and uh, in New Jersey, which is a great wrestling state, but we had a terrible team. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was so focused on jiu-jitsu at the time, I never really went out for it. And then when I started getting older and started being like, hey, you know, I'd like to compete. Also, I, I may want to fight MMA one day. I should probably wrestle. Okay. I went to like one or two practices and uh, in the summer with the intention of signing up. And, you know, A, the team, I was training with adults at that point in time in jiu-jitsu class, you know. And in martial arts, it was different because all the adults that were going are paying to go to class. So they're taking it very serious. Um, you know, going from that atmosphere to a bunch of kids who really didn't care, it really didn't seem like I was going to learn or get better. Um, the second part to that was the coach or the assistant coach that was running it was like kind of this older guy at the time real old school and he hated jiu-jitsu so he's giving me a hard time even though i beat his entire team uh so it was just one of those things where i was like i don't think this is going to be conducive to me learning so i really never you know worked on wrestling until i got an mma and uh even then i was fighting a couple years before i moved to a different gym and camp and met my longtime you know coach that i now don't live there anymore we're still friends uh john salter and he was a national champion wrestler so really i was a couple years into mma before I even had like formal coaching in wrestling. So it's a miracle I could take guys down in, uh, in fights. But so it was always jiu-jitsu. It was always competing in jiu-jitsu. And uh, that was the main thing until, you know, 2015. So what got you? So I know obviously a Northeast guy like myself uh, from Boston and Benny, who you'll meet later from New York. But what got you down from New Jersey? Evidently you were into the MMA world. What got you into the Wilmington, North Carolina area, which I guess is where you really, really got serious about this in became a profession for you. Uh, did you know back then before you came down that this is what I wanted to do? I wanted to fight for a living. Uh, you know, it was never, it was a dream. And until I was not very good at jiu-jitsu competitively, around 16, I started to hit a little bit of a stride. I started competing in adult divisions and having some success, but still at the, you know, the intermediate level. I wasn't, um, I was never a phenom. You would never call me like a freak talent or, you know, I was never really on anybody's radar, um, but I loved it. Uh, so it was a dream. I wouldn't say it was a goal. And, you know, I was trying to do the right thing. My um, my parents moved to South Carolina, you know, uh, when I finished high school. They let me stay up there because I had you know, some friends and, you know, I loved jiu-jitsu up there and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, they moved after when it was time for me to go to college. And the, the easiest thing was to chase in-state tuition and follow them. And uh, so I came down with the intention of still trying to, you know, pursue uh, competing jiu-jitsu at a high level and trying to win a world championship in that. And when I got to Myrtle Beach, because they moved right outside Myrtle Beach, uh, there was not a very good Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu scene. They were very far behind. Um, you know, it, it just hadn't evolved down here yet. Because it seems like, you know, in a lot of ways, unless you're in big areas, you know, like Wilmington or Charlotte, um, some of the smaller towns in the south, they're a little behind in that department. And uh, But there was MMA. So I was training mixed martial arts. I was doing the practices with those guys just to stay in shape and work on my Jiu-Jitsu. And then 
through time, I was like, okay, I'm going to finish college. And then, you know, when I get on my own and, you know, I can support myself, then maybe I'll take an amateur fight and see where it goes. Well, some things happened. And uh, by the time my senior year rolled around, I kind of got dumped on my head a little bit. And, uh, you know, I started dating my, you know, my now wife and uh, it was kind of just us. And we were both flat broke and they were having fights in town. And that was kind of the perfect time to do it. So I ended up, wow. you know, trying to trying to stay in school, trying to work, and trying to fight. And something had to give. So I ended up, uh, you know, dropping out of school after three years and uh, wow. taking my first amateur fight. I made a little bit of money. There's not there's not any money in amateur fighting, um, but you can sell tickets. You can try to get sponsors and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the end of it. Uh, started pursuing it and was like with with the intention day one of if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it try to go to the UFC and make a living at this. And the second that doesn't seem feasible, yeah, I'll still train, but this is not going to be my, my path anymore. So it's been a, uh, full steam ahead since 2015. That was October, 2015. Yeah. So my question, so you're 30, which is, I, I think relatively young in the MMA world. You have fighters fighting, you know, into their late thirties, early forties, uh, successfully. So to your point, um, how does this thing evolve? So you're, you're obviously doing some kind of, promotion that's not ufc and how in the world do you make that jump i mean because the ufc is like you know it's the biggest promotion and mma now bellator and some other ones but let's face it it's dana white the ufc which is now tko which the merger with wwe it's huge it's just massive how does that even come about i mean are you you're not on their radar how do you even get approached for the cont- i know we'll probably have questions on this and i'm jumping the gun a little bit but how do you even get into the contender series? What, like, how does that work? Does it, do you see something and you sign up for it? Do they come to you? How does that work? Yeah, that's actually a great question because it's such a weird thing. This, you know, this field that we're in, because with the other sports and the more, uh, you know, I took a, I used to love the four major sports or five major sports, mm-hmm. whatever it was, especially growing up outside Philadelphia. Um, and then I got to high school and I, you know, I said, I kind of stuck with jujitsu. I stopped following and I've been following a lot again, watching, you know, a lot of football and stuff. And, it's so funny is in those sports, you're on a trajectory from a young age. You know, you know, by the time you're, you know, second, third year in college, if you're on a path that can make it to the NFL, um, fighting is so different because it's like athletics. You have to pursue it, you know, like a professional athlete from a young age, but it's like entertainment or acting in the sense of not only do you have to be good, but you also have to kind of get a big break or get discovered or have an agent that can get you in. So, it is really a weird thing where I've known guys that are, you know, world beaters in the gym and even have good records, but were mismanaged. And I know guys that probably didn't deserve to be there that had, you know, were at the right place at the right time and, and they got on the radar. So um, early on, you know, the, the in the old days, Dana White and his matchmakers would travel around and search for guys. Mm-hmm. But as time went on, the sport got more popular. They didn't need to do that. So then they came up with, a, you know, kind of a, a nice filtration little farm system so we have the regional scene you have amateur fighting which is for no money and it doesn't count toward your professional record you can make some ticket sales you can get some local sponsors but it's a hustle it's a joke because we all you know we all have the same path you're selling t-shirts with your sponsor logos and tickets to the fight out of the back of your car between training sessions that's pretty difficult that's going to be hard that's going to be difficult yeah oh yeah and then you get to regional fighting and you go okay well it's professional now it's uh, your starting pay. My first paycheck uh, for my first pro fight was five hundred dollars to show, and five hundred if I won. So if I won, I would win a thousand dollars. That's a tough way to make a thousand dollars, Joe. But I had, yeah. Oh yeah, it's tough. 
Um, but I also probably had four to five hundred dollars in medicals. I had to travel to the fight, and I had one hundred and fifty dollars in licenses for me and my corps. So oh, see, basically, you're not looking wash. at a great paycheck. Yeah, exactly. You're breaking even. Wow. Um, so it's it's a it's all an investment, you know, for the future. So um, the most money I ever made on the regional scene was uh, I think two thousand dollars, and that's not even profit. You know, wow. my second to last pro fight before going to the contender series. I made it home with $200 and I fought for ticket sales only. So how does so, this go from $200 and just, you know, hustling and trying to get fights and trying to make as much as you can to getting into the contender series? How does that happen? So the thing that you, you know, as you start progressing, you start to realize the trajectory you're on. And, uh, you know, for me, my thing was that if I lost two in a row, I was probably going to call it. Uh, if I ever got close to 500, you know, like three and three mm-hmm. or, two and two, whatever, I was probably going to call it. So uh, at the time, I think I was uh, four and one. And that's when I kind of signed with my first management company. So now you start to go, okay, I'm one or two wins away from, you know, six and one is a pretty good record in our sport. It's not like boxing. You don't have to be undefeated. But a couple losses, you know, at my weight class, um, there's a lot of undefeated guys. So uh, I signed with a management company and they start getting your fights. And, you know, what these people do for you, depending on the level that you're at, is they just act as a middleman. They have the phone numbers that you need, the contacts that you need to the, to the UFC, to the Bellator, the PFLs of the world. Mm-hmm. And they have some stock where, you know, when they have an opening, they will come to that manager and say, you know, who do you have? And uh, so for me, I was seven and two at the time. And my manager at the time, who's no longer my manager, um, just got an email from the Sean Shelby that match makes for the UFC. And another season of the Contender Series was coming up. And he asked, you know, who do you have that fits these qualifications? And that was it. He sent his list in. I guess I best fit them. And uh, he responded, and it was, you know, okay, can I have more footage of that Joe Selecki guy? We sent it over, and then they just they selected me. So it really is. Uh, it takes a couple of breaks in your direction and winning and being ready all the time to, to get something like that to come up. You know, the other way is short-notice fights. You know, say I have a fight this weekend in the UFC, and uh, I break my hand in training on Friday in my last sparring session, and they go – okay, we don't want to cancel the fight. They may hit up a manager that they respect and they usually go to and say, yeah. who do you have that can make the weight on a week's notice? And that's also how you can get it. So, so the last those are the two ways that are most common. Yeah. Exactly. You're never really getting a fair shake at it yeah. unless you're on the Contender Series. So, okay, so you get on the Contender Series. Now, I'm not familiar with it, I'll be honest with you. I mean, since you know we knew we were going to have you on, I kind of did a little research on it, but... So how long does the Contender Series run? Is it a month-long thing? Is it weeks long? Um, who trains you? Does the trainer train all the fighters the same? Do you each have your individual trainers? How does that work? Yeah, great question. So they have uh, – the original TV show was The Ultimate Fighter, right? And they kind right. of mixed reality TV with mixed martial arts. So they still fought every episode, and there was one winner at the end of the se- uh, season. But uh, they went and lived in a house. You know, they throw alcohol in the mix and become. It was chaotic. pumping up the personalities so of what they right wanted back. to do, right, Joe? They really wanted to pump the personality out. Yes, and I know a lot of guys that make it through, you know, the tryout portion to the producer meeting, and they don't make it because they're not entertaining enough. So wow, okay. I probably never would have made it unless they wanted Come a guy. Come on, you could have made it. <laughs> yeah, I'm very glad that wasn't my path. The other path is contender series, and that is kind of like how ESPN used to have like Friday night fights or something. Mm-hmm. It's just a different miniature fight card every week for like 12 weeks or 10 weeks, whatever the season is. So uh, all it is is five fights on Tuesday night. Dana White comes with his two matchmakers. They sit there. 
each fighter gets to bring four people and it's in the UFC Apex Center, their little training center. Yep. Uh, it's kind of like a production studio. So it's very intimate. It's very intense. There's no walkout songs. The crowd, you can hear a pin drop. You can hear his coaches, your coaches. It is really a very trippy experience. It's wow. very strange. Um, okay. And, you know, it, some guys go in at 10 and 0. So you go, okay, I lose. I'll come back. For me, I already kind of used up my losses on the regional scene. So this was kind of a, for me, it was one of those, I don't even know if I should be getting this call at 7 and 2, let alone am I getting back, you know, at 7 and 3 if I lose. So, um, for me, it was a lot of pressure. I got the call. We had like 14 weeks notice. I'd never been, you know, anywhere to fight besides the East Coast. I fought all my fights in Atlantic City and Philadelphia and uh, two in South Carolina. That was it. So um, within three days of getting the call that I'm going to be on the show, you know, uh, this was May. I was going to be on in July. I'm in Vegas for pre-production meeting with the producers. We're filming all the stuff that they're going to show on Fight Night, you know, talking about how you know, this is the biggest night of your life and what do you think is going to happen tonight? All that stuff. So all that stuff we see was filmed months prior. Um, really cool experience, but the whole time I'm going, I just hope I get to come back here. You know, I hope yeah. this isn't my only trip to the show. I hope I get to come back and be part of the UFC and see all this stuff. So, so if you uh, lost, let me just... It was if, the craziest 14... If, if you had lost, Joe, is it over? Like, it, it's one and done? How does that... Is that the way it is? For that point in time, yes. Now, they, wow. you know, maybe you have a great showing and they call you back if somebody falls out of a fight or they bring you back the next season. But uh, you're not guaranteed a contract if you win. Okay. It has to be entertaining. So uh, what it's become now, so many seasons in, is like if you don't finish your opponent, you're done. But um, they've had guys that put world-class performances on. But, you know, maybe uh, one guy shot a takedown in the last 10 seconds of the fight after putting on a clinic. And Dana White was like, I don't want somebody that's going to fight conservatively. You're not in the UFC. So, like, wow. it is really up to their discretion. So, okay. it's a it's a very intense – I call it a pressure cooker of a job interview. You know, you, you have to – it's really hard to block that out. For me, um, the pay was pretty – really good compared to everything I was making. So, it's 5000 to show, 5000 to win. So, in my okay. mind, I wasn't fighting for a contract. I am fighting for $10,000 and to put food on the table and to get a win on a big platform. You know, because you really can't control their opinion. That's what I told myself. Um so, yes, you're fighting for a chance to impress the powers that be in this sport and the three, you know, the three most powerful matchmakers and, uh, you know, brass in the sport. And that's what it was. They bring you out. You have two corners, no walkout song. Uh, you don't even get to fight in UFC stuff because you're not a UFC fighter. It's plain gloves. It's, it's a really interesting experience. And, uh, you know, for me, I walked out. I have my wife and three other people there because you get four tickets. And, uh you know, without the crowd and everything, you're staring at them like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this, is, this is quite a bit. I better put on because uh, this is the only shot I got. So it was a, it was a heck of a lead up. Those 14 weeks were uh, unlike any other fight I've ever had. The stress was, you know, really, really crazy. So you don't have, so not only do you have to win, but you've got to win impressively. It's got to be entertaining. So that puts even more pressure on you, right? So you just, you, it's not just winning. It's, you've got to look really good doing it. Yes. And uh, what's funny is, you know, obviously a finish, a, a knockout or a submission is what they're going for mm -hmm. or a crazy one sided decision. Maybe you can't finish the guy. He's really tough. Uh, on my on my night, I was the last fight of the night. I don't know that it was main event because we're all kind of on an equal playing field, mm -hmm. but I was the last fight out of uh, five. Three of the first four were finishes <laughs> and one was a back and forth like fight of the night type fight. So at this point in time, I'm standing there watching them all because you have the TV in the back room. You're like, OK. I'm, not, I'm just fighting for $10,000 because there's no way all I right. can top this. 
Um, and I ended up going out and uh, testing a submission. And then what really helped me is my opponent didn't tap and passed out, went to sleep. And that seems to add dramatic effect. I think that really is what put it over. So uh, wow. that was the first night ever they did. Now it happens pretty regularly, but that was the first time in three seasons at that point they had ever done five contracts in one night. So, wow. um, yeah, it was crazy. And you're not in the right frame of mind. So you fight. You go back to your locker room. I was the last fight. So I had to do medicals and stuff. You see the doctor and all that. And then you're sitting on the set in these director chairs. And Dana White is on camera in the other room. And he's going down the line talking about each person sitting there. And then at the end of his little monologue says, you know, either come back next year or, you know, uh, welcome to the UFC. And I was the last one. So wow. you're not in the right frame of mind. to be, You can't be confident in this situation because too much is at stake to be like, oh, I've got this. So I'm sitting there. You know, heart pounding, like, please say I'm in the UFC. Play. And in hindsight, there was never a chance after my fight that I wasn't going to be. Um, but uh, it was really, really – most of these times, you know, uh, people put more stock into the experience. It's going to be life-changing. It's gonna be, it was life-changing. It was uh, – I'd never done anything like that. And, you uh, must really have been cool. ecstatic. Like, you must have been, like, so pumped when Dana White tells yeah, you almost, welcome uh, to the UFC. It's almost relieved, you know, because – it's much more the path, the, at least, you know, some guys, maybe not. Some guys, um, you know, they wrestled in college. They're a national champion. Bo Nickel. I don't know if that's a name that rings a bell, but he was a uh, four-time uh, Division One All-American and three-time national champion. He had, like, two regional fights. He's already in the UFC. So I don't think he ever lost a night of sleep being like, am I going to put bread on the table for my family fighting or not? And if not, he can go be a Division One All-American college coach somewhere and make, you know, $250,000 a year. My story was much more like, uh, you know, the movie Invincible or something where you're like, <laughs> at a certain point in time on the regional scene, people start to think you're going a little nuts. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like people start to question, like, are you delusional? Is this something? You, I mean, and I used to work at a um, at a chiropractic clinic. So during the day I'm around, you know, it was a lot of old people. We were in Myrtle Beach. And man, if I tell you how many interventions I got from our patients being like hey are you sure this is the path you want to do like you seem like a nice kid a smart kid like all kinds of like and you're just like okay nobody can see this but me and thank god for my wife and a couple of people you know but um it was it was a heck of a and then you know every fight you're going further and further this you're getting older and you're also in your 20s you know everybody that went to college is taking their their wife on vacation or you know buying their first house and all these things and you're like oh my gosh like you can't help but question yourself a little bit. So the peak of it was contender series for me. I was like, a, I, I was a 450 credit score going into the contender series. That's awesome. I didn't though. know they made them that low. <laughs> yeah. So it was so I've been there. I've been there. Believe it or it's not, I've actually been there. Forever. Well, I, I want to check and see if we've got any yeah. questions from um, any of our viewers yet. We do have some questions. So let's uh, get Tony, our producer, and I think you guys know each other, so let's get Tony to ask a few questions from our viewers for UFC lightweight contender, Joe Selecki. Sure thing, Les. So Barry Smith wants to know, Joe, after eight years, what have you learned? Not get hit? Oh, uh, it's funny, because, yeah, well, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of things practically, but, you know, I think the biggest thing is, um, you know, fighting is a metaphor for life. Like, there's a reason... People that don't even know the sport, if it's on, you're going to watch. You know what I mean? Like, it's fascinating. Because it's a metaphor for life. It's tough. You get knocked down, all these things. Um, the biggest thing, obviously, in my life, it has strengthened my faith. Um, you know, Kirk Cousins, I I've been become a fan of him since that quarterback documentary. And, um, 
he said it about football and his dad was a pastor and said it about his pastor. He said, I think God made him a pastor because he kept him close to him. He said, I think God made me a football player because he kept me close to God. I think God made me a fighter for that because it gives me manufactured adversity. Like a lot of it's my own fault. I'm choosing to fight, right? But um, things get tough. You start to question yourself and it is really nice because the process of like strengthening faith but also self-discovery. So I feel like when you go through the, you know, it's manufactured. I don't have to have a, a loved one be sick or, you know, something really tragic to get to really feel manufactured adversity. So it's um, it's a self-discovery process. I feel like I know myself and can rely on, you know, my instincts and what I'm going to do in tough times thanks to fighting. You know what I mean? I don't know if that answers the question, but after that, everything else is very, very um, – nothing gets me worked up. You know what I mean? Like uh, I feel like everything is mappable because fighting is mappable and – for me, I truly believe fighting is a metaphor for life. So aside from, you know, sickness or, you know, something out of the ordinary, I think everything is mappable and everything can be problem solved. Um, yeah. And that's kind of the approach I've now, you know, not being a, a crazy kid at 21 doing this anymore at 30. I feel like I'm pretty calm approaching everything in my life because everything seems very, very mappable. Everything seems like, a, you know, kind of the volumes turned down after fighting, you know. All right. Ex excellent question, Barry. And I, I like the answers. Uh Tony, you want to keep them rolling? Yeah, we got quite a few. We so. got quite a few, Joe. You're popular. <laughs> MMA is good tonight, so let's keep them rolling. Going with Barry again. Barry says, it's obvious that your style is not a striker, but wrestler. 66% of your wins go to distance. Do you agree? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the numbers don't lie, so I think that is the case, which is funny because um, when I was on the regional scene, I was just finishing guys left and right, and my criticism was like, oh, how's this guy going to do in a dog fight when you got to, you know, scratch and claw now the UFC has been the opposite a lot of decisions um you know I've had a couple where it's just uh becomes you know a little bit of a brawl and uh done pretty well but uh at this point in the game I feel like I can strike with anybody in the world it's just a matter of what ends up happening you know so I've gone into fights where the other guy is supposed to be the kickboxing specialist and you know obviously I grew up grappling and they shoot in on me because I hit them so I haven't had that breakout performance where I get to display the kickboxing but there's a lot of things where I've hit guys and they change their mind real quick. So we spend just as much time on every other aspect, but um, yeah, having grown up in grappling, definitely more of a grappler. And uh, yeah, I think uh, I've actually spent more time going the distance now than, than finishes. Another good question by Barry. Before we go to the next question, Tony, I wanted to ask something because it was something it's all, it's been on my mind and something that Mike Tyson said, Mike Tyson said about fighting is everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. I've actually been there. I mean, I've actually put on the gloves and I've actually trained. And my sensei's yelling to me, do it, you know, breathe. Do and the minute I got whacked in the head, it, it, I went all black and I went blank. And I lost, I lost everything I was taught and I went after the guy and it got worse. So my question is, when you fight, you obviously see film on, on a fighter. You have a plan. Uh, maybe this guy's not good on the ground. Maybe you want to take him down. Maybe you want to strike with this guy. If it's not working, you get through the first round and it's a three-round fight or even a five-round fight. You get through the first round. Do you go back to your corner and say, listen, this isn't working. Can we try plan B? Maybe I can break him down some kicks to the legs. Maybe I, I, I throw more jabs and I don't go for the ground game right now. Is that, How does that work? Absolutely. You know, um, the biggest thing is, is fighting is crazy. Uh, and I'm not just a crazy choice to do for a living. Like, it's chaotic. We were talking about that today in the gym. I can do the in, – in boxing and, you know, in each individual combat sport, the better guy usually wins. In mixed martial arts, the small gloves, the amount of different strikes you're allowed to throw, elbows and knees, kicks, 
you can block and still get clipped and still get hurt. So it's crazy. So you have to, you know, a game plan is a very dangerous thing to stick to. You really have to, um, we call it a template at our gym, you know, so we have the spots that we know, you know, in every area where we'd like to be, but we try to focus 90% on us because I can't control this other guy does, you know, um, that's the big thing. And then the other thing I always tell my guys is above any game plan we have, I have to go out there and make my reads. You know what I mean? Like, um, it, back to, to go back to football again, you've got to be able to call audibles. And that's where, you know, as you progress in your career, you see that a lot. Guys, taking if you go to a regional fight, an amateur fight, they just look like two cats. They run at each other. They just start scrapping. As you watch the guys with the better and better records getting closer to the higher level, and then in the UFC, you see them come out, touch gloves, circle, they faint. You know, they see where that guy's at, what's his responses, and they're making reads because sometimes it can be totally different than your game plan. Um, I've gone out there and planned to grapple guys, and, you know, they throw that first shot. And you're like, holy cow, this guy is a lot slower than I thought. I'm going to punch him. I'm going to kick him. I'm going to keep moving and, mm-hmm. and stay on the feet. Um, I've gone out in a fight and been dropped in the first 10 seconds and had to come back. So you can't plan for, you know, any one specific thing. You just have to work on – you know, your template of if we're here, here's the two or three things we want to do, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. And I think it's fascinating because it's not all about the physical. It's about the mental, too. You've got to think on your feet. You've got to you've got to pretty much adapt, like you said, uh, to what's happening in front of you at real time. So that, I just wanted to check that out. Uh, Tony, I know we've got some more questions, so uh, let's th- throw a few more at Joe Selecki. Sure thing. So Tech for Fun asks, how do you recover quickly? I imagine the day after a fight can't feel so good. Yeah, good question. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it's funny because it's not even – I mean, some fights you're definitely banged up. Like after this last one, I got slammed, you know, uh, my shoulder's still not right. I'm still going to, re- you know, physical therapy. I'm still dry needling and got stem cells, a whole bunch. But typically after a fight, the worst part uh, is, is the adrenaline, you know. So um, I can fight for two minutes and I can fight for three rounds and I'm going to probably be just as sore the next day because that adrenaline turns to lactic acid it seems like and then you're just – you know, you're exhausted. Um, typically, I never sleep the night after a fight, um, especially after a win. You're just riding on that that wave. So, um, you know, a couple days later, you're exhausted. Uh, but, you know, the thing is, is, it's not even after the fight because you have some downtime after that. You can take a week. You can go light. You know, you're not, you're not fighting for a while. It's the training. You know, the training recovery is, um, you know, the, the tough part. Uh you know, after the fight, the big part is adrenaline masks so much. So, you know, when we're sparring and training, you may not, you may feel stuff. You know, if I hit the top of somebody's head, my hand hurts right away. Um, in a fight, you really don't feel any of that. So you might feel it, but it doesn't hurt, right? I, I've kicked, um, you know, I'm going to throw a body kick and hit somebody's elbow with my shin Oof. and felt it and been like, oh man, that's going to hurt later. But in the moment, you feel nothing. Um, five, six, seven hours after the fight, you're laying there like, oh my gosh, I can't walk. So um, it's that adrenaline. It's a really interesting thing where, you know, I've been cut in a fight and you feel the fact that you're cut, but it doesn't hurt, you know? Um, It's really, really interesting. So after the fight, you know, um, I always try to get back in the gym in some capacity Monday, just mentally, because um, I don't ever want to feel, like this is my lifestyle. You know, I'm a martial artist before I'm even a prize fighter. So I don't like to disappear after a fight and go away. So even this last one, I couldn't throw a punch. we were in the gym on Monday doing footwork. You know, I have a lot of students and stuff, and I want them to make sure that they see me back, you know, win, lose, or draw, chipping away at it, and in one piece, you know. So, uh, yeah, the recovery is key, especially after training. I do a lot of, um, 
you know, we do physical therapy. I do cold plunge every day, uh, you know, compression. So like the boots that you see, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much doing at least one or two modalities every single day to get ready for the next day, especially now. When I was younger, nothing. I just slept. But now I've got to do a lot to come in ready to go every morning. Ah, that's an excellent question. Tony, let's go to one more question. Then maybe we'll go to commercial and bring Joe back with the book. What do you think? Sure thing. Let me just put this up before we go to the last question of the segment. This is a very special message for you, Joe. It's from your daughter. Uh-oh. Oh, wow. <laughs> and she says, Daddy, I love you. Oh, there we go. There we go. Nothing better than that, yeah. Joe. Nothing better than that. That's the best. That is the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had... We had both kids last fight week, and uh, it didn't go our way, but the week was awesome. And it's funny because, you know, you picture all these guys as, like, uh, you know, these rough, tough, and it wasn't like that. There was probably, like, six or seven fighters on the card all had their little kids there, babies and stuff. And uh, That's cool. It's really cool to see the, the paradox, right? Like, one minute we're all running around chasing our kids, and it's just a work week, and then the next minute you're in the cage fighting. Uh, well, it's she's fi- the well best fighters are what kid. you do, but it's not who you are. So, like exactly. you said, you're a man of faith. Other people could be doing other things. You could have a person doing, you know, you know, into into different different hobbies and things. So it it definitely does not make you that person. It's kind of you know your profession, but outside the ring, you're Joe Selecki, husband and father. So that's a big deal. Uh, let's, let's go to another. Yes, let's go exactly to one right. more question. And I'm not either. I'm not a husband. I'm not. I'm not a husband. I don't. I don't have any children. But uh, I have plenty of friends that do. So I know what it's like. But let's go to one more question, and then maybe we'll go to oh, a break. Yeah. Tone. It's up to you. Well, actually, what I wanted to do, to, uh, I know, Joe, we've got some video clips on you, which, you know, we really wanted to show. Uh, Tony uh, did a great job with this. And I know one of them is, uh, we're going to call it like the fight of your life. I think it was the fight that you really called your fight of your life. And if, if Tony, I know we've got a few, but if Tony has a chance, he might be able to throw that up there. And then maybe you can remark or talk about it. I don't want to put Tony, uh, I don't want to put Absolutely. too much stress on Tony, but... Let's take this question and right. then we'll go. We'll All right, roll, let's take a question and, and then, then we'll, we'll go to that. The and then maybe you can kind of, you know, narrate that. So let's go to this question right now. So Eric Meyer Mayer asks, who inspired you to get into the MMA? Another fighter? Was it Bellator or any other league of cons- a consideration before? What well, any other league of consideration before the big show? That's a great question. Yeah, on both sides. Um, the big. Well, okay. Uh, you don't have a tattoo of Rocky Balboa on the on top of the steps on your bicep if you can't say Rocky, but he's not a real person. So, That's true. Uh, you know, the, the biggest thing was my lifelong jiu-jitsu coach, John Hassett. Um, I don't know that he inspired me to be a UFC fighter, but just to be a martial artist for life. Um, he lived a certain way where, uh, you know, I've known the man since I'm six years old now. And, uh, you know, sometimes you get to know somebody when you're older and you start to see things like, oh, I, maybe they weren't who I thought – this guy was who he always said he was. Um, he's a great husband, a great father, a great teacher. And it was just one of those things where I was like, I want to be like that. You know, I want to make sure, but also awesome at jiu-jitsu and never stops learning. So that, that is him. And then along the way, you know, whether it was people I watched on TV that I drew inspiration from, um, I actually ended up, ended up fighting one of them, Jim Miller. He's from New Jersey. Him and his brother were in the UFC, and Jim Miller has the most fights in UFC history. And wow. fighting him, but I've been watching him since I'm 13. Uh, Frank Yeager is another UFC fighter from New Jersey. I remember Frank. And what they all have in common, the ones I liked and Weidman as well, they were very relatable, and they didn't seem larger than life, right? They were just like regular people, you know, and uh, that worked really hard. So I really always appreciated that. Um, in my own, you know, experience, uh, you know, kind of guys I trained alongside. 
Um, after living in Myrtle Beach, I met a guy by the name of John Salter who ended up, he fought in the UFC a little bit when he was younger and then had a really great run in Bellator and fought for the world title. And we actually moved from Myrtle Beach to Wilmington to train with him. That's how we ended up there. Wow. And uh, that was awesome because that was the first person I spent every day with. Um, a, who was like, he was a great guy. You know, he's a man of faith. He's now, uh, now a father. He was a husband then. And um, they were older than us, but not a ton. So it was relatable. But him and his wife had been where me and Casey were, you know, that struggle to get to the big show and make a living out of it. He's, you know, very well-rounded in decision-making. He owns a jiu-jitsu school and other businesses. And um, it was just a really helpful friendship that we still have. You know, I could call him up today and be like, hey, what do you think about this? And he's probably been there, done that, you know. So um, that was that was huge, um, being alongside him. Uh, my boxing coach in Myrtle Beach when I first moved was like something out of a movie, just willing to work with me for free. Um, he's a two-time leukemia survivor. He had bone, uh, two bo a bone marrow transplant and wears ankle braces. So wow. walking is miserable for him, but he can hold pads and box. It's amazing. Um, we really had a heck of a crew uh, who's always stuck by me. And uh, one of my one of my closest friends, uh, who I also was like my only friend I met in Myrtle Beach from the jump, uh, Ali Alreda, and we were kind of in the same boat. We had all these dreams. We loved jiu-jitsu. We loved training. He fought a little bit of MMA, um, kind of working a bit of a dead-end job that he hated. And then around the same time I got to the UFC, he ended up starting his own uh, martial arts school. And they're thriving. They're up in uh, in Bay Ridge in Brooklyn. And uh, he's another guy. Every fight you'll see in my corner now. But um, same thing. All around the same time, I met all these people. And, um, you know, they I would not be here without them. So, you know, obviously there's some guys that fight that I take inspiration from. But then also... Mm -hmm. Some people that have just been there on the day in, day out, on TV, and my wife, she's the best of all because uh, she literally kept me going because she, you know, she saw it when I didn't. I started to doubt myself, and she was like, absolutely not. You're not doing that. We're, we're already here. You got this. So uh, she's been the best. I was going to say, shout out to Casey. I got a uh, chance to speak with her a couple weeks ago, and I know she's been incredibly supportive of your career and there's nothing like it when she's backing you i pretty much feel like you can do everything out there so uh that's outstanding and a great question yeah, casey, is, uh, casey is better than me in every way except maybe at martial arts um and i don't think a lot of people realize that hmm. um there's a lot of situations where i'll get credit for something and it was casey pushing me to do it including keeping fighting but um you know stuff like uh you know if somebody's competing or something, i'm like oh should i go to that and, and coach her should i do this or that and her answer is always to do the right thing, you know? So um, it's really, really cool. Like I get a lot of credit for stuff. Oh, it was so cool that you showed up to do this or you went and did that thing that seemed like a very nice gesture. And I try to do the right thing, but a lot of people have that significant other. I see it with young guys that I train with and stuff that are like, no, you need to be here spending time with me or whatever. And that's fine too. Um, she's always pushing me to do the right thing for, you know, either my career or other people. And, uh, it's funny because people will ask that, like, how did you meet someone like that? And this and that, like, what did you do? I'm like, I didn't train her to be like that. She's awesome. I don't know how to tell you that. She makes me better. So shout oh, out to her. Well, I, th I thank her a lot because she kind of got us together. So I really do appreciate it. Thank you, Casey. Uh, I know that you want to run the video, Tony, if you found it. So we're going to run the video. And I want you to kind of narrate, Joe, a little bit about what we're about to see. We go out there and we fight. Nice touch the body there by Selecki. Take his back. I look for my choke. Uh, so, Wait for the task. 
in the What's funny is they called this one. So in the in the little docu series we did, that fight of my life, I finally saw out of the first round. It's so funny because when I talk about it in the video, it says everything is really bright. You know, I hit him, he didn't go away. I actually finished this guy in the first round with a fairy tale. The rest was okay. The fight that I was referring to was on the regional scene. And I don't know if that footage, we don't even need to show. Yeah, we grew but, uh, up, you know, with a very in, different version of the regional scene, my first loss so ever, me, I would go to church, I got clobbered. I that was kind of where it started and stopped. And then it was one of those things where once I graduated high school, I, I and, just kind of left my faith uh, You know, in that situation, your arms and legs stopped working, for a lot of my life and you're present, but you can't like do anything. Old, I and I just got destroyed. You know, they had little scenes where they'd be kicking the bag or honestly, it with each other or whatever it might have been. I wanted to be one of them. What's funny is it made it look like that was the fight that I lost and got beat up in, but actually that fight, uh, I won. And I took them in the first round. But, um, so, yes, uh, the one they were referring to was a fight on the regional scene, my first loss ever, and I got beat by a guy who doesn't even fight anymore. And it's so funny because at that point in time, you're questioning everything, can I even keep going? And, you know, you fast forward a couple of years, and I don't think that guy ever made it out of the regional scene. And, and I you're to, in the you UFC. Know. Exactly. So it worked out great for you and not so great for him. But uh, thanks, yeah. Tony, for running that clip. I really appreciate it. First time we've kind of run anything like that. And we're just evolving, Joe. We, every week we just get a little bit better and better. So uh, we have any more questions, Tony, before we go to break? Oh, yeah. Oh, we got a lot. Joe, you're popular. You're popular. We got a lot of okay. questions. Let's <laughs> roll them. Sure. He thing. wants to go home to his family. We got to tell everybody that, too. But All right. So Barry. No, asks, no, we're fine. This is awesome. Whenever you dominate, you look up and point to a higher power. Who instilled that in you? Good question. <laughs> uh, the funny, you know, obviously, it's, it's, we were laughing today. You can't say, because people will say to fighters, like, oh, you're a warrior. And we're like, hey, we got to be careful about that. Because we were talking about like, Navy SEALs and stuff today and how crazy that is and how awesome they are. But, uh, you know, the saying, like, there's no atheist in a foxhole. Well, we're not quite in a foxhole, but fighting can get really nerve-wracking on fight day. <laughs> So I feel like I've been doing that. Even when I wasn't strong in my faith, I've been doing that. Because on on competition day and grappling or fighting, like that was always in there. But now ever since, like, you know, I always learn and never stay, you know, um, never never get too high. I always stay in the middle. And by doing that, the first thing that pops in my mind is like, thank you, God, for keeping me safe and healthy and here, you know. Um, I think it's what kept me from losing my cool in the last fight. You know, it's not fun to get slammed, to lose, and have your opponent standing over you mocking you. But again, you're just like, uh, when you feel that closeness to God, it, it puts it in perspective. You know, um, this isn't my be-all, end-all. As much as I love it, I want to do this forever. I want to make money for my family, and I want to glorify God in the process. You know, sometimes it takes, sometimes it takes, you know, losing and and losing graciously and uh, and winning and winning graciously. You know, I try to always, uh, you know, check on my opponent and it's not to put on a show. It's just because I appreciate them and I know what this could be. I know that could have been me. If I zigged when I should have zagged, that could have been me. So it's just, uh, you know, pointing to, you know, and you get the opposite on Instagram. I'll get, um, you know, if I post, you know, all glory go to God or something, people get real mad at that. Um, and I'll be like, oh, so what happens when you get knocked out? I'm like, all glory still goes to God. I don't know what to tell you. So be it's true one of those convictions, things where Joe, you just right? know how exactly. You know how crazy this sport can be, and uh, I'm just thankful to see another day. So let me ask you a question. Do you have a rematch clause with this fighter that you had just fought? And I know you're rehabbing and things like that. Is there a rehab a rehab? Is there a rematch clause in there with the UFC, or do they just peer you up the next time you're healthy and ready to fight with someone else? Or do you want to fight this guy again? Uh I mean I would love to. 
Um, but the latter is the truth. They're just going to match you with somebody else. You know, okay. the thing in this sport is, you know, we're not, I'm not, especially me, I'm not um, on that level to negotiate terms and have a rematch clause or anything. So I don't think he really loved the idea of that fight to begin with because I'm ranked behind him. So um, for him, he's already matched up, I believe, and he's trying to climb the rankings. We're all chasing the same thing, the top mm-hmm. 15. Um, so you typically always want to fight up. So especially for him, um, he did a great job on that night. I think he was in some trouble. I think that's why he celebrated so hard. I think uh, you kind of go, okay, I got away with one. I don't think he would want to run that back. You know what I mean? I kind of um, felt like I was a lot better than him. Was it, was it a I mistake? And, and I, I saw it, saw the fight a little bit. And I know you had him. You know, you had him. He, he had you on your back, and then he lifted you and did whatever he did there. But was that more of, you think, a tactical on your part? Do you look at it, you know, I kind of more lost that fight than he won that fight? How do you look at it that? Yeah, I, I, yes, I do think that, um, but, you know, he won, so that's all that matters, you know? The end um, result. I would never want to take that away from him, because here's the thing, I can't pick anybody up in an arm bar with one arm, I don't think, and slam them, so he did something to put me out, you know? Do I think uh, I'm the better fighter? Yes, but it's also my job to think that, right? I, I, mm-hmm. I shouldn't be looking at anybody in this sport while I'm still fighting and say, that guy can beat me nine times out of ten. I should be looking at everybody and saying, aside from something crazy, I beat them nine times out of ten. I have to have that mentality. So I don't want to discredit him. He did a great job. Um, but I was shocked how easily I could take him down. I was shocked how easily I control him. And um, I definitely got a little overzealous trying to take the back, and I ended up on my back. And it's funny because I don't like attacking limbs, especially in mixed martial arts. Um, guys are too strong with adrenaline. They don't tap. They're too – you know, in jiu-jitsu tournament, you have less adrenaline. You used to make guys a lot easier. I like chokes because – if they don't tap, I can put them out um, or, or punches, you know. Um, so it's so out of character for me to do that. And, uh, you know, the nice part is I always joke with my students. I fell on that sword so they can learn from me. So, uh, yeah, I would love it back, but that's not going to happen anytime soon. So uh, on to the next. Well, let's go to one more question. Then I want to go to a break, bring you back, bring bring the book in because, you know, the book's our resident uh, wager man. He doesn't do much on MMA, but I know he has a couple questions for you. So let's get one more question and then go to a break. Okay, so Tech for Fun asks, does your training allow you to eat at Kilwin's Ice Cream in Wilmington? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. It does mine. Well, so the nice part, yeah. uh, so we're in, we live outside of Charlotte now in uh, Gastonia. But when we were in Wilmington, um, yes, it did. Uh, because I, I, so I train all year long. Um, some guys take a lot of time off. Some guys get really heavy between um, – training camps you know they don't like to be disciplined i follow like 90 10 so like even though i don't have a fight coming up i'm eating healthy every day of the week except saturday so i get to keep that because my weight's always pretty good um even in camp three weeks out so typically our saturday looks like pizza and ice cream or burgers and ice cream so uh yes it does and absolutely if i'm a momentum i'm going to kill it's 100 up here we have culver's they have custard it's really good not quite kill ones, but it'll do. I have to ask. He's got a six-pack, Tony. I've got a zero-pack, and we have the same diet. Something's wrong. I, I don't know what it is. But, well, listen, Joe, we're going to come back after this commercial break. We're going to bring Benny in. We're going to answer a few more questions from our viewers. And there's a couple other things I want to talk to you about. Your gym that you're affiliated with right now that you're doing some training. We want to promote that as well. And we want to talk about what's, what's the future for Joe Selecki in the UFC. So we'll do all that. Bring back Benny the book after this. Welcome back to Swartz Talking Sports. I'm Les Swartz. 
We have special guest Joe Selecki, UFC lightweight contender. And look who just popped into the screen. We have hey, Joe. none of this, Benny the Book, the King of Carolina. How's everything going, Joe? Hey, what's How's up, everything man? going? Uh, good, I got a few questions good. for you. Good, good. All right. I got a few I got a few questions for you there. Um question uh I obviously you have students and you train, but how long does it take for you to train once you get a fight? You know, like do you I'm I'm sure you you work out like daily, but uh when 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 they call you and say, "Okay, March 30th, you have a fight." Do, do you have like a a routine, like a 6-week training program or Yeah, um so typically my preference would be to know, you know, I'd like to know even further out. I'd like to know 12 weeks because then you kind of okay. do a pre-camp. But the, the sweet spot is about eight weeks. But uh, mm-hmm. I think because we train all year, all I really, realistically, I could fight in three weeks. Um, okay. I'd rather not please tell the matchmakers that. But um, a, a typical camp would be eight weeks, so seven of training. Um, and then that's when you start to up the intensity. And, you know, before, as a, as a younger man, I would train like a madman all year long. Um, now, and we would come up here and train in Charlotte two days a week. So, you know, from Wilmington, four hour drive, stay over. Mm-hmm. Um, now I get to train my head coach all year long and he's really good about periodizing and like, you know, pulling us back or pushing us forward however we need. And, um, mm-hmm. that's the best thing for me because some guys undertrain. I am a chronic overtrainer. And as I go into my thirties, I have to be smarter. So, right. Yeah. Um, yeah when we get in camp, it really starts to, you know, that's when we've got to save our body for. So, um, the big differences are that by then, um, you know, I'm training every day, at least twice a day. Um, typically it's two skill sessions and then either a, a weightlifting session or a conditioning session every day. Some days are just two. And then some days, you know, he'll pull us off if we have a hard day the next day, um, twice a week we're sparring hard. So, uh, you know, out mm-hmm. of camp, we'll do a lot of lighter sparring, you know, playing with new techniques and stuff. In mm-hmm. camp, it's, uh, you know, in the cage with our gear. We have shin guards and bubble gloves, and uh, I'll either grease my face or wear a headgear. But um, in camp, it's a lot of three fresh opponents, and I'm staying in for three straight rounds, so three five-minute mm-hmm. rounds, like, fight yeah. um, on Tuesdays and Friday or Saturday. So twice a week, I'm getting in a fight. <laughs> um and then we also really up the conditioning. So out of camp, I'll do a lot of long distance running or, you know, biking and stuff like that in camp. It's a lot of short intervals. Um, and then by the last three weeks is when I call it uncle Jeff's madness. And my coach is Jeff Jimmo. And, uh, he gets just to have the reins. He's got 10 mm-hmm. stations and he's telling me when to switch and I'm pushing a sled. I'm riding the airline as hard as I can, you know, I'm hitting pads, whatever it might be. So, um, typically we're around 12 to 15 sessions a week. Fetty, you think we could uh, handle that kind of training? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I used to do that all the time. <laughs> I, I, I can handle the kill ones. You know that. I know you can handle the kill ones. <laughs> I know. I know. You might be able to take Joe down with the kill ones. I don't know about oh, that. Yeah. But let me, I've got a question, Joe, for you. Uh, and I've always, always wondered about this is it relates MMA to boxing, which I'm obviously more familiar with. Now, boxing, they usually have a weigh in uh, a day or two days before the fight. They weigh in at a weight, say the welterweight's 147. Then in two days, he literally eats himself to 158 pounds or 160 pounds. The the weight for a lightweight in MMA is what, 150? 155. 155. So what is your natural walking around rate, weight during, you know, during this, you know, when you're fighting? What's your natural weight? Yeah, so right about now, I'm probably about 177, 178. Whoa, um, okay. You know, I don't, I'm in shape. I'm training hard. My 
my cardio is good. I train all year long. I'm not, you know, uh, restricting. And then when I get into training camp with the intensity of the ups, I'll usually shed, you know, five pounds right out of the gate. I'll probably 173, 172 for most of the camp. And, um, you know, then the last three weeks is when I have to tighten up the diet a little bit. So then I will try to go into fight week uh, just below 170. If I can be 169 on that Sunday, we usually leave Tuesday for a Saturday fight. Then I know I'm pretty much good to go. Um, Thursday is when I'll cut the weight. I'll cut the weight Thursday night for how Friday do you morning. Cut, okay, how do you cut weight? How, I, Benny and I want Benny and I want to know this. How do you cut weight? Yeah, it's a really it really is a really interesting process, especially now. Back in the day, you know that's the thing is. Um, we're still not far removed from like our leather helmet days, you know, in, uh, in, in MMA. So people think of it as like, bar, you know, running around in trash bags and stuff. Now the science is, and the recovery is so good. Okay. It really is. I call it a, uh, a temporary displacement. So, you know, I will diet down just a couple pounds to about, you know, um, what I usually cut water weight from is about 165 on Thursday. Weigh-ins are Friday morning. Some guys cut early Friday morning, like 5 a.m. because we have to weigh in by 9 to 11 o'clock is our window. Uh, I've started doing it the night before because you're not going to sleep good either way, dehydrated or stressing about having to make weight the next day and race the clock. So um, a lot of guys cut Thursday night, but all it is is going to be uh, a sodium manipulation. So throughout the week on Monday, I'll start drinking uh, water loading. So I'll drink two gallons Monday, two and a half on oh Tuesday, two and a half to three on Wednesday, Oof. and then uh, deplete the sodium on, so no sodium. You'll uh, you'll load sodium throughout the week, cut uh, fiber and sodium on Wednesday, and then your body starts to shed what it doesn't need anymore. It's really interesting, and um, and then come Thursday, you're just back to sipping throughout the day, and maybe I'll eat lunch. You know, I'll stop eating around four o'clock, and I'll start my cut around seven thirty, eight o'clock at night, and then from there it's just a water cut. So. Uh, some guys prefer a sauna. Some guys prefer a uh, you know a hot tub or a hot bath. The bath I think is the worst because it gets hotter than a hot tub. Um, and now during the COVID era, we didn't have to go to the public sauna anymore, so they didn't want us you know intermingling with the fighters. We were being tested so much. They provided the little personal saunas that are he- you know the head the head is sticking out, and that is the best because now I can breathe room temperature air but still sweat from below, uh, you know, below the neckline, which is really cool. Cause the worst part about a sauna when you're cutting weight is, you know, you're breathing hot air and your heart rate starts going and you're, you're miserable, you know? So I prefer that and the hot tub mixed and, you know, typically it'll take two to three hours, um, you know, wow. with some rest in between and, uh, I'll ring out about nine pounds, 10 pounds. And, um, it's for a very short time. The next morning we're up, I step on the scale and now with the way, um, you know, the science and supplementation is, they have an amazing recipe of electrolytes ready to go. So um, the UFC provides it, or you could hire your own nutritionist, but the UFC's is really good. Um, the second my butt hits the chair after weigh-ins, they come up with four drinks. They tell you, you know, drink this first one within 15 minutes, uh, sip this next one over 15 minutes, the next two over the next two hours, and then they'll give me a sheet of the macronutrients that I should eat to get back to full speed. And it'll be like 965 carbohydrates, wow. you know, grams of carbohydrates, uh, X amount of protein. And, you know, if you follow it, you're going to find yourself back to, you know, anywhere from if I'm 155, I've been as heavy as 173 and I've wow. been as light as like 168, 167, but still a significant gain. You don't feel depleted and you can perform pretty good the next day. That's incredible. I still think the sport- so you gain that yeah. weight back, you know, after the cut process and, Normally, from the weigh-in to the actual fight, is it normally two days in the UFC? 
Uh, no, so I've had them, you know, it really depends on the time uh, that, the, that the TV event is going to be. So during the COVID year, I fought on an uh, ABC card. So we were going to be on like, uh, you know, mainstream TV, not ESPN, not the app. Um, and that was super early. Our call time in Vegas was, uh, I think I left at 7.30 a.m. I fought by 9.30 in the morning. So mm. for that one, it was just under 24 hours. If you're fighting on the East Coast, or like I fought at night when I fought in Texas the last time, we got about 32 to 34 hours. That's pretty nice. But it's never really – it's always a day. You know, we weigh in Friday morning. We fight Saturday afternoon or evening. So uh, if we can hit 36 hours, that's ideal. But uh, wow. it's really, really interesting. It's a fun pro- – it's not a fun process. It's fun to always try to figure out. I do think the sport would be better without it. But how do you do that? How do you get guys to stop cutting weight and, you know, you make a gentleman's agreement. You have a 30-day weigh-in. You know, it's really tough. Hydration testing, you can beat those still. So um, – it's a really interesting process. Well, let's, uh, I know that, do we have any more questions, Tone? Yeah, we do. He's shaking his head. We're 60 minutes in. This is, this is going by pretty quick. And I don't, I know you've got to get home and things like that. So we're just gonna, no, I'm enjoying if, it. If, if you want me, I'll stay. If you uh, want me going, I'll go. No, no, if we can keep you for a little bit longer. <laughs> let's uh, throw a few more questions out there. Sure. So Eric Mayer says, I've seen you fight many times and you can throw down, but most of your wins are by submission. Don't your opponents see that coming? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, yes, but I think, um, you know, the style of grappling that I've adopted, um, is it's not going for submissions. It's, I call it corralling my opponent. So, um, I try to teach the same way. I try to have two to three answers for every possible scenario we could end up in on the ground. So the, the way I try to do it is, I tell my students is kind of you're darned if you do, you're darned if you don't. So if you don't show me your back and I take your back standing, then I'm going to be on top of you and, and able to throw a strike. You know, obviously it doesn't always go that way. For example, see my last fight, but for the most part, um, there's a system. So it really isn't, Oh, he's hunting for the rear naked choke. It's going, okay, checkmate. I have nowhere to go. Um, you know, I can turn back in and get hit with elbows and punches or I can give up my neck, you know, without sounding arrogant. That's the goal. Um, obviously some guys succeed. I've had, you know, decision fights, I've had losses, but, um, that's the style of grappling I like. And when you have striking mixed in, it creates such an urgency, um, on the defensive side of things that it's really hard to think rationally because all it takes is, you know, a couple of those, if they're thrown correctly, you know, some are peppering shots they are not hard, but you hit somebody good and, um, you know, decision-making starts to get uh, a little cloudy. That's a great question, Eric. And Eric is, one of our viewers and our subscribers, and he loves MMA. So uh, he said he actually wanted to get into it years and years ago. And uh, But thankfully for my company and me, he works for us. So uh, thanks for the questions, Eric. Uh, <laughs> any more? Any more out there? Quite a few. Quite a few. Quite a few. Let's. Get... And Casey, by the way, flashed up. It's okay. Keep them. I'm cleaning. So that's what Casey said. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Joe, she doesn't want you in the house right now. So. Uh, yeah. go ahead. I'm surprised she's not uh she likes to listen to me. She has to listen to me all day talk about this stuff. So <laughs> So Barry asks, in twenty twenty, you were replaced at the last minute with Max Roscoff, a new guy. Was it politics? Oh. Uh, kind of. I tested positive for COVID. <laughs> oh. I'm just kidding. But um yeah, honestly, um it was weird because uh that was uh June twenty twenty. And, you know, COVID only been around a little bit. So mm-hmm. they had started testing before we go out there. I didn't even get the – I don't even think the UFC was sending the tests because they were – after a while, they were sending them before we even got on the plane. I started feeling um, 
like I was the worst fighter in the world. I felt cloudy in one of my sparring sessions. I was exhausted. I'm like, this is not right, man. And I got, I went and got tested, and uh, I popped for COVID. But I don't think anybody had at that point. After a while, it became every week they were replacing. You had a lot of regional fighters mm-hmm. either moving to Vegas or going to stay with their manager in Vegas because it was a regular thing for two or three guys to pop on a card. None had popped back then. They were only back for a month. We, you know, sports were shut down. So um, I text my manager. I'm like, hey, man, I just tested positive for COVID. How does this work? He was like, I don't know. No one's done it. So um, I, he said, but the one thing they did tell me was don't say anything. Just say you're out of the fight. The bad part about that was my wife was pregnant with our, our daughter at the time. So I have to post and be like, for unforeseen circumstances, I'm out of the fight. I'm getting messages like, is everything okay with Casey? I'm like, oh, yeah, like I'm just sick, you know. And gotcha. um, But, yeah, what's crazy is, you know, if I'm Max Roshkoff, I would hate me because he replaced me. He quit on the stool in that fight, which – you know, in boxing, that's kind of a, an accepted thing. In MMA, that's like, that's a no-no. Like, you can't do that. So um, that really kind of ruined his career. Wow. Um, and then I ended up coming back and fighting that same guy that he fought uh, a couple months later, two months later. And that made my life a lot tougher, selfishly, because I just watched him make a guy quit. I'm like, what does this guy do that is so crazy? Like, is he going to break me? Like, I've never broken. Uh, you know, um, it made that fight a little stressful because I'm like, Okay, I thought he was a regular opponent. He's making somebody do something that never happens in our sport. What the heck was – how hard does this guy hit that this guy wanted out in a fight that was 1-1? So, uh, yeah, crazy situation and uh, crazy times. Fighting during the COVID era was wild. It was crazy. Well, we're going to – anything during the COVID yep. era was crazy, let me just tell you. Benny, Joe, how Benny, many, Benny how next many... time, Benny, are we going to – we have to we have to do like a wager next time Joe's fighting, right? We've got to yeah. put some. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna start watching. Yeah, I was checking out the uh, lines before when you asked me to check. They, I told you they have a lot of February third. They have a lot of fights. And uh, Joe, how many fights do you typically have a year, or is it is it just random when they call you, you fight, or you know you 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 know that you're gonna fight at least two times or three times yeah, a so, year? Um... Our contracts guarantee us a certain amount. You know, I think mine was like four and 20 months. Um, but, you know, if they call and I'm injured, they'll just extend the contract, stuff like mm-hmm. that. So uh, yeah. the sweet spot is three, I think. Yeah. Um, I haven't had that in a while. Uh, some mm-hmm. have been, you know, injured at the time. Um, the last time around, I fought in February and then didn't fight till December. We kind of knew we were moving to Charlotte to, to pick up and, uh, you know, come here and coach and be at camp full time because for right. – the camp before this, my, my fight last February, I was uh, doing the entire week here. And then I would go home on weekends, drive back up. I was living with my coach. Um, and that wasn't really something we wanted to do long term right. in case he was pregnant again with our son. So uh, it was one of those things where I fought in February. My deadline to fight because she was due in July was June. Um, I wasn't healthy enough to get on any cards in June. So I had to kind of wait until, um, you know, we got here full time and uh and pick up again so that was kind of my doing there's other times where i've been shelved for you know they have a lot of guys now post covid they signed so many guys on short notice for people you know getting sick like i did right. they give them four fight deals it's not a one it's not a one-off so now they got 800 guys to get fights and they have you know 40 something events a year and uh mm-hmm. you gotta just wait in line that's a good question benny look at that you're coming up with some questions regarding mma here i know we've got okay. a few more out there from our viewers yes sir so Barry asks, when there's a split decision by the judges, does it make you want to work harder the next one? <laughs> In hindsight, yes. You'll kick yourself. I lost the split decision to Jared Gordon, and for the next three months, I w- especially uh, 
looking over at the family, you're like, oh my gosh, like I couldn't have gotten one more takedown. And because, you know, we're still in a show win situation. So, you know, if your pay is X, you get X amount to show up. I get double that if I win. And it's not 500 and 500 anymore. It's a significant amount of money. It's obviously a very different situation. You know, um, I always tell guys that when they lose in the regional scene, I'm like, you know, 500 and 500. Yeah, there's a difference between $500 and $1,000. But, you know, there's some guys that make a hundred and a hundred. There's a big difference between a hundred thousand dollars and two hundred thousand okay, dollars. Yeah. So uh, that's frustrating. But, you know, you're trying as hard as you can. It's it's one of those things where even in the boring fights, you watch guys on the fence and somebody's like, come on, do something. It is exhausting. You know, you're dumping the tank. Um, no one's ever fought lazily in a fight. I don't think, you know, some guys could push forward a little more. But, um, you know, it's tough. It, it, everybody's the best in the world in this league. And um, it's really, really tough to, to get an inch on some of these guys. Joe, I have a question for you. So when you win the lightweight title, see, not if, but when you win the lightweight title, what is what are those fights worth? I, I know in boxing, obviously, there's different promoters. You know, when, you know, Benny and I grew up, there was Don King and Bob Arum, and, and they really promoted the fight. And they're the ones who really got the money for the fighters. Uh, UFC must control all of this, but... Uh, to be a headliner in a championship fight, is it worth seventy five thousand, a hundred thousand? And subsequently, if you defend that title multiple times, do you get more and more money? I know everyone's familiar with Conor McGregor, right? He's a big star now. He's doing movies. You know, he, he talks a lot of trash. I would have loved to see you take that guy out. But I, I mean, just what's, what's the uptake? Like, if you continue your career and, and you get some really big wins in some really big fights, uh, financially, what's the reward there from the UFC? Yeah, I mean, uh, if you're at the point where you're fighting for a title, you're you're well over six figures at that point. Okay. You know, um, if you perform well, I've heard you know a lot of guys come out in podcasts and stuff. Uh, you know, Daniel Cormier was our heavyweight champion, light heavyweight champion. Um, but when he fought and lost to John Jones, I think he's making like three hundred thousand, and they like their guys that fight for the title. I believe um, if they fight hard, to be rounded up to like a million. So they, wow, uh, he okay. said that, you know, they gave him a check for like $700,000. So they gave him a million-dollar check or something crazy like that. Um, the champions, a different story. So now, back in the day, it was a couple hundred thousand. Um, they may make 500 flat. And then once you have it belt, now you get a pay-per-view percentage. So you get pay-per-view points. So they'll clear, you know, a million in every fight at least. Um, you're better guys that sell more. Now you're talking about, you know, a lot more money. Um, yeah. So yeah, those, those fights are worth a lot. Um, the main events, you know, if they're not they're not for belts or anything, like uh, I believe you get a twenty five or thirty thousand dollar bonus just for fighting the extra rounds. Okay. Um, so you know you're looking at you know a six figure payday for main events, and you're looking at a you know seven figures for for championship fights. Well, before we let you go, we've we've got to promote a little bit about the gym that you're currently training at, and you actually uh, train students as well. So uh, it's in Charlotte. I know that. So why don't you talk a little bit about uh, you know, the gym you are at right now, who you train, uh, some of your training partners, you know, so people out there can uh, maybe check that out for themselves. Well, Tony will run something uh, during the show on it. So why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, the gym is called Jim O, like Jim Dash O, because um, our coach is Jeff Jim O, J-I-M-M-O, but it's okay. like a play on words. Um, and, you know, we have one of the best facilities I've ever seen. You know, uh, we started out in a really small facility in uh, Gastonia. Now we're in Belmont in a, uh, you know, we have 4,000 square feet of mats alone, like a cage, a really nice kickboxing ring. 
um, fitness equipment, everything. But the coaching staff is, I think, what separates it. Um, Jeff Chimo, you know, was worth picking up my life and my kids and <laughs> and moving here because, um, you know, the thing in our sport is you meet guys that are very good at certain disciplines. You have a wrestling coach. You have a strength and conditioning coach. I've never met anybody like Jeff. Um, he's done every single martial art to the highest level. Um including, you know, including strength and conditioning as well, which is an aspect of the sport. He can, he can do my weight cut. He can do, you know, meal prep. Like he is awesome. So, um, moving here was the opportunity to a, to train under him. That's why we came. But, uh, also, you know, he provided me the opportunity to start up or head up, you know, they've always done jujitsu here, but never had a formal program. So, um, we have a great kickboxing coach, Diego Costa. He's one of the best kickboxers I've ever seen. I'm not just saying that. Um, it's amazing. Like, there's guys that do jiu-jitsu, and because it's kind of flowy and, and a grappling art, it looks beautiful. It looks pretty. He makes uh, Muay Thai and kickboxing look beautiful and effortless, and it is not. I tell you, I do it very ugly. Um, so he runs the kickboxing. I run the jiu-jitsu at night, and um, it's been awesome. You know, we have a great student base. Um, we have a great fight team. We have a lot of great amateurs. I can shout out the guys I train with that are great. But also, um, you know, we have a, a much larger student base that doesn't fight that doesn't compete like that. They just love martial arts. You know, I'd say 95% of my jiu-jitsu class are people with full-time jobs who are just looking to learn martial art, get in shape, um, you know, and, and, and reap the benefits of martial arts, especially jiu-jitsu. You know, you're not getting punched. You're not getting kicked. You're grappling. It's safe. Um, at home, we have a guy at Hassett's where I trained in New Jersey who is, uh, I think he's 76, and he trains. You know, oh. so you can do jiu-jitsu for life to a certain degree, whether it's drilling or rolling live. So um, that's what I teach. I really enjoy it. You know, I've been doing this since I'm six years old. Um, and that's what I love to see. I love, you know, last weekend I cornered a guy in a fight in Charlotte at an arena in the cage and the whole nine. And that was fun. The weekend before that, I had two students doing their first jiu-jitsu tournament in the novice or beginner division uh, six months and under. And that was a blast. It was so much fun to see them go out and, you know, try the techniques that they learned. And, you know, if it didn't go their way, you know, see their face. I'm like, oh, would you do another one? They, they lit up, had a blast that's really rewarding for me. It's fun. It's fun to help them try to, you know, get better. So, uh, that's what we do. Um, it's all, we're on social media, just Jim dash show. Um, yeah, Tony's good. Tony's popping me a up message on the screen. Directly in the right. Place. Yeah. So he's going to bless. We have to, we have yeah, to take a ride to, to Charlotte. Um, and we have a fight team. Do a show on the road. Me and you, we could, we could grapple me and you. Well, hold on. If Benny and I, if, if the book and I get there with Tony <laughs> doing video, you've got to teach Benny some techniques because he's going to need it on Sundays at the golf course when I mop him up in a few weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am in. I am in. But uh, we have a really cool thing. We have a lot, you know, uh, the other cool thing is we have a lot of young people that, you know, um, I don't know why we've generated so much college wrestling here. That the guys that wrestled in college at a high level have ended up training here. I'm very thankful they have. Um and these people will end up, you know, competing across the world. We had people this year that competed in, um, you know, Serbia. They competed in uh, uh, in Russia. They competed in Thailand. Like, it's amazing. We have a, a team that travels internationally, you know, amateurs. We have professionals that, you know, I'd say a large percentage have a great chance to make it to the UFC. Some of those guys, um, you know, we have uh, one of my – some of my training partners are, uh, you know, Kill Spears was a, an All-American in college at wrestling and – now really doing great in MMA, Mitch Dean. Uh, we have a guy, Tom Lane, who's 3-0 and and is like Chris Weidman's main training partner. So um, there's a lot of guys, um, you know, who really have a shot at this. And it's really cool. But we also have, a, um, you know, a kids team that travels internationally and competes. So there's a lot of cool stuff happening at the gym. And uh, it's a really fun thing to be a part of. 
Well, someone just said he, he paid to see uh, you get me on the mat, and I would just tell you right now, I'd get on the mat with Joe. I wouldn't. I, I, I would. It would be over pretty quick, but that's okay. Uh, well, Joe, I know we've, we've been going on, and we've got a lot of questions, but you know, we'll have to do. We'll have to do a Joe Selecki part two before you come on in, in on your next fight. But the two things I wanted to ask are: first of all, I know you're rehabbing right now. When do you think you're going to be ready to fight next for the UFC? Yeah, I was hoping uh, they have Atlantic City on March 31st, and that was my goal. Because, um, you know, after every fight, they'll, they'll reach out to the management or myself, you know, when do you want to go again? That's what we said. Um, they don't have anything for that for me. So, because uh, that's kind of a homecoming. That would have right. been fun. Yeah. But uh, I also would have been pushing it because I'm training hard, but still some limitations. So um, I would love, you know, April or early May at the absolute latest. So, um, you know, that would be ideal. That's that's the goal. And, um I'll be ready uh, either way, but I hope it doesn't go much later than that. That would be ideal for me. Well, you have to keep us posted, Joe, because we definitely want to follow uh, your road, career. Uh, we'll road be trip. talking about it. Right, 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 See, book, right, book, right. We got that. Road now, trip, road trip. The last trip. thing I want to ask Joe before he leaves is, Joe, when you win the UFC lightweight title, you have to come on, sports talk and sports. <laughs> I want to see the belt. All right? Absolutely, yeah, one hundred percent. You know why? Hey, this is awesome. Uh, B, this is more professional than any MMA media we have, except unless you're talking to ESPN. So, one hundred percent. Well, thanks. Uh, okay, so we're know, a little bit below ESPN, Benny. We got to raise the bar a little bit. We yeah, no, I don't even get people on ESPN. No, no one from ESPN wants to talk to me. But uh, MMA media, we get the same five questions. That's why you're like, oh, I don't want to keep you. I'll stay as long as you want because it's fun talking about the sport. You know, it's not fun being like. Uh, you know, what does your opponent do? How are you going to beat him? How do you win? You're like, I don't know. That's why we're fighting the fight. So uh, mm-hmm. I love talking about the sport. I will come on anytime you guys want. This was a blast. Well, Joe, it I got to great... say thank you so, so much yeah, for was... taking the time to come on. I know you just finished training. It was it was crazy. Maybe next time we catch you when you're a little bit more of a downtime. I want to thank Casey. Uh, she was instrumental of getting this set up with our producer, Tony. So uh, I need you to get home. She's probably finishing up cleaning. Go home. Right. Kiss the wife. Kiss the kids. Get the kids. Kiss the kids. And uh, yep. listen, good luck in your rehab. And please keep us posted, okay? Great talking to you, Joe. Good yeah, luck. I appreciate you guys so much. Thanks for having me. This was a blast. Take care, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Welcome back to Sports Talk and Sports. I got a little tongue-tied at the end, Ben. I don't know. Maybe it's uh, it was a long interview for us, so I think I'm. Yeah, that was a. That's a, now that's a tough way to make a living. I'm telling you, very impressed. I'm very impressed with Joe. uh, The whole, you know, he's very. He's definitely a man of faith. Um, You know, just speaking with his wife. I mean, she just seems like an incredible sweetheart, and. we obviously wish him uh, a very, very speedy recovery on his rehab and, and to get back yep. into the octagon soon because you know you and I will be watching. Yeah, we gotta we gotta take we gotta take a road trip to go see his facility where he trains. And we'll you know I think we'll have to Monday, do that, Tony. Mon- Monday, are you gonna start that uh weight thing for us so that we cut some weight on Monday, start Monday? I'm I think I'm gonna get a personalized program from Joe. We'll get that going. But yeah. well, we got the book and college football is done. Now it's all college basketball. NCAA men's March Madness begins March 21st. That's actually after the play-in games. That's going to be day number one. And, Benny, what I did was last night, I know I talked to you a little bit about it. I put together, I'm not going with the top 10 what's out there right now. I'm doing the Swartz Talking Sports Power Rankings, our top 10. So, uh, well, let's look at a little bit. Tony did an awesome job throwing up these graphics on the top 10. And I know there was a little bit of change last night. We we get we got the teams picked yesterday, and then obviously there were a couple upsets last night. But once Tony throws those up, we're going to talk about those. So there he is. And uh, we got we both agree the UConn Huskies they got a good shot at repeating. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, they definitely do. I, I, I really believe they're going to repeat. They're, they're, they're just getting better and better. They had a, they had a bunch of injuries at the beginning of the year. The center was out for like three or four weeks. They got a young freshman that looks really good, uh, and they got a great coach. He's, uh, you know, he's probably the most instrumental. With, uh, you know. And because uh, they lost three guys to the pros last year, you know, they did. He, well, but, he reloads uh, Benny. And I'll tell you, he, he's a when you say he's a great coach, not just a great mm-hmm. recruiter, but in-game coach strategy. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the guy knows how to adjust uh, from half to half. So uh, now Carolina, I had second. I know you might have picked them later down the line, but they were rolling uh-huh. and then unfortunately get knocked oh. off by one to Georgia Tech well, last night. Well, last night was the first uh, that was the first time they ever they were never nine and oh, I don't think in the uh, ACC. In the ACC. Uh, they were on a they were on a streak. They, they lost by a point. You know they're very good, very talented. Uh, Purdue has the uh, you know reigning player of the year. He's Zach a monster. Eady, the seven foot four he's, monster. He's, he's a monster in the middle. I mean you know uh, I I don't you know they they play in a the Big Ten is way way down. Way down. Usually the Big Ten has really got like six seven good teams, but none of them are really that good other than Purdue. Uh, I think yeah, the Big East, the Big Twelve, and the uh, SEC. SEC has a lot of good teams. They, do. they really do have a lot of good teams. The Big Twelve's got a lot of. Uh, they got about six or seven teams in the top fifteen or eighteen. The problem and, is they uh, knock each other off, but yeah, so, yeah. but they will be there for March Madness, and I think it hardens them and it makes them more yes. prepared for the tournament. Mm-hmm. Well, you got just in the top ten, you have uh, you have three uh, Big Twelve teams: Iowa State. Houston and uh, Kansas. And Houston's a new team in the Big 12 coming out of the AAC. This is Kelvin Sampson's first year with the Cougars, and they just had a big win um, at Texas the other night. I know that uh, another loss, uh, Tennessee I had rated pretty high, and they've been playing great. I think they had won 10 or 11 in a row. They just got upset uh, at South Carolina, who, mm-hmm. who's now 19-3, and three, and they're unranked. Right. That yeah. will change come next week. But uh, well, you some got great the- teams in here. You got some big big games over the weekend. You got Duke is at NC. You got the Cougars are at Kansas. You got uh, Connecticut's at St. John's. St. John's, Patino's got them rolling. They're, does. they're pretty good. They're a pretty good team. They got a big big center, uh, Salino or Savino, whatever his name is. Uh, he's he's been there a few years. Uh, got Tennessee's at Kentucky. Tennessee's got a good. That guy Connect. I think they you say his name Connect. He pour he was pouring them in from everywhere last night. Well, I was gonna. I mean, Tennessee unfortunately lost, but you're right. I mean, they're playing really, really well. The SEC. There's teams that aren't even ranked. Uh, Ole Miss. Auburn's got a really Ole good Miss. team. Yeah, mm-hmm. Ole Miss. Auburn and Ole Miss play each other this weekend too. Yeah, so That's we're gonna pick. We're actually gonna pick. So we're gonna do this every week. We're gonna do the rankings. They'll change every week, week to week. I'll give Tony the uh, the heads up on Tuesdays and take the top ten. But I know you've got what? Uh, how about three games, Benny, this week between top tw- uh, top twenty five teams? And, and give me what you think. Uh, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with North Carolina as one pick. I don't know what the line's gonna be. They're playing Duke. Duke is ranked in the top ten, but they they've skated by a lot of games. I mean, possible you know, they, they, player of the year, Kyle Filipowski, playing fantastic yeah, basketball. Yeah, but uh, I, I I North Carolina is legitimate. Hubert Davis is doing a really good job. Love Hubert Davis. Uh, you know, I North Carolina, I would take. Do you remember? Uh, hey, hold on, real quick, Benny. Do you remember Hubert Davis's uncle? Played for UNC and had a great NBA career. Walter Davis. Walter Davis. Oh. Walter. It's his uncle. 
One of our he one was, of our listeners. He, by he the was name one of the Walter, best. Love the good humor, man. So Walter, that's a yeah. shout out to you. I'm one of the best, Walter Davis, man. Yeah, um, What's your second game? You got Houston's at Kansas. Ooh, uh, big game. I, I, I'm I'm going to go with Kansas in that game. Okay. You know, you know, I, I like Kansas. Jake Jayhawks at home, and uh, a third game that. I'm going to go on the road for this one. I'm going to I'm going to take Tennessee to bounce back okay. against Kentucky. Ooh, you know okay. Kentucky Kentucky's been slipping a little bit the last few games. So I'll take I'll take Tennessee for the uh, upset at Kentucky. Uh, so you like the Vols to pull off a little yeah. bit of an upset in the SEC this weekend? Well, we're yeah. going to check it out. What we'll do is we'll start charting our our you know your uh, games and in, in, in the picks uh, week to week, and we'll we'll roll this right into March Madness because we're right in the thick of the uh, conference. Uh, conference races right now and we'll talk a little bit about maybe some mid-majors next week when we come on to talk a little bit about uh, after our Super Bowl show by the way we'll just tout that out a little bit we'll tease it with little Jerome Bettis the bus coming on Tuesday that'll be a big big show and Brian Holloway right. coming on Thursday so we're going to have two shows next week we're going to call it our Super Bowl week extravaganza I can't say that again, Benny. I only know it once. But uh, we'll talk a little college basketball again next week with you and then I know you head to Florida for a few days or a week or how long are you yeah. going to be there? Uh, about five days. Five days. All right. So you're going leaving with the, Wednesday. Um, I'll be home Monday night. Are you golfing? So, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That was a dumb question. I know. I know. That was a definitely a dumb question, but well, we're definitely going to check back and we're going to do some college basketball the rest of the year, but I know we've gone long tonight, so I want to get to the wrap after this, but I, again, thanks. Thanks for hanging out and thanks for uh, okay. it was a couple a, it of was questions a, with Joe. Joe was a great, Joe was a great interview. He was really interesting. Joe was awesome. So we, we definitely, definitely we definitely, back. we definitely, and we de maybe we do a, maybe we do a show on the road. We go to his gym and do, and Go from there. That's going to happen. I, I, Tony's giving you know? me a thumbs up. We Tony, have to, Tony, we, Tony, he could do anything, our producer. That's true. We're going to have to take the show on the road and doing some other things. So, But listen, Benny, you take care of yourself. Uh, we'll all see right. you maybe tomorrow on the golf course. I don't know. Yep. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be out there. I'll be looking for you out there. All right. Well, listen, I, again, thanks to Joe. We're going to be right back doing the wrap after this. Welcome back to Swartz Talking Sports. I'm Les Swartz. Uh, again, special thanks to Joe Selecki. I know he just finished training, and he really hung out with us for over an hour. So uh, outstanding. And a, and a special shout-out to Mike out there uh, who really got this MMA thing rolling. He kept hitting us up with MMA. And, Mike, uh, I hope everything uh, turns out. You know what we're talking about. So uh, thanks, Mike, for that. And Benny the Book, as always, you're a legend. You're a legend. I've created a monster. Benny the Book, the King of Carolina. A very special shout-out to uh, my Joni, uh, She's doing better every day, every week. Everyone's asking me, so, uh, uh, hon, I'll see you in a little bit. And from everyone here, oh, and a very special shout-out on the Children's Miracle Network. Uh, Vince Vince Coleman, who was our very first Major League sports guest and now a very good friend of the show's, is out in Hawaii right now uh, with, the Chin, with the Children's Miracle Network. He's doing a, a tournament out there, and he's with uh, all these kids. We have a video we're going to show in future episodes, maybe in a couple of weeks, I'll have Tony cue that up. So uh, amazing thing. Please take a look at it. Vince is doing some amazing work with some amazing people out there. Uh, shot me a great video today with Tim Brown and his wife and Vince and his and his wife. So uh, congratulations, Vince, on all the great work you're doing out there and the, uh, the Children's Miracle Network hospitals as well. So uh, we'll cue that up in a few weeks. But uh, for all of us here at the Sports Talking Sports team, my producer, Tony the Tiger, for Benny the Book, this is Les Swartz saying, we'll see you Tuesday with Jerome Bettis. Have a great week, everyone. 
good.